from Green Biz Group. Welcome to this week's edition of 350. I'm Joel McCower here in Oakland, California. On this week's edition, how sustainability professionals are thinking about the year ahead, our newest list of C-suite sustainability champions, why private climate investment needs to get intentional about gender and equity, and what GreenBiz has planned for 2022. We're ringing in the new this week on 350. Happy New Year, everyone. It's January 7th, 2022. Welcome to another episode of Green Biz 350, our first in this brand spanking new year. We're so glad to have you with us and joining me from Midland Park, New Jersey, already years ahead of the rest of us is Green Biz Editorial Director, Heather Clancy. <laughs> Hello, Heather. Hi. Well, I don't know what that means, but <laughs> I Happy New Year. I, I was wondering this morning what the statute of limitations is on saying that. You know, is it the first week? Is it the first time you talk to someone? But anyway, happy new year, everyone. Yeah, I think I think most of January qualifies as that, but certainly we're <laughs> only the seventh of January, so I think we we can be uh, saying happy new year. And it, and it is it is you know for all that's going on in the world, all the horrific things happening uh, in not just Omicron and pandemic, but just you know so many other stories. You know, our world of sustainable business is 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 doing okay in some ways, and it sort of uh, feels um, like an exciting time for us. Mm -hmm. Very exciting, and you you go through a lot of exciting things in your column this week. I just I was reading it, going, "Wow, <laughs> we have a lot of things on the on the calendar. Um, so many, so many events, um, new people." I'm wondering if you want to tell everyone about our one of our, our wonderful new hires. Yeah. Well, joining us this week uh, as of Monday is uh, Dylan Siegler, uh, who's joined us as vice president and senior analyst for sustainability. What that means is that she will be uh, sort of championing the, the part of our business that we call the profession of sustainability, uh, talking about all of you out there, the sustainability professionals, the chief sustainability officers and the folks that they interact with and you know how we all up our game, how we all be more effective, what the leaders are doing, where the trends are going. This is part of something we do. We have uh, a uh, state of the profession report that we do biennially that's coming out in, uh, in April, where we uh, do a survey of over 1,400 sustainability professionals around the world. And we learn about their salaries and reporting relationships and things like that. We're going to be leaning into that topic more and more. And, and as, as Dylan said, and um, we'll have an interview with her a few a little bit later in this episode, she said, this is a complex moment for sustainability practice. That's a field that's rapidly specializing. But she said, I'm particularly interested in the action that happens at the intersections between those specialties and, and how that you know, what are the opportunities for sustainability professionals and their companies and, of course, the world? So she's going to talk more about that, as I said, in, in a few minutes. So we're excited about that and, and all the different directions that will take us. And then, um, I don't know, you know, starting, we have the State of Green Business report coming out later this month. We have Green Biz 22, our 14th annual flagship event happening in person in Scottsdale, Arizona. And yes, we will be in person. 
with all the safety protocols and daily testing and all kinds of things, the kinds of things that uh, Heather and I experienced when we were in Glasgow in November. Uh, Heather, you've got your international on International Women's Day, your badass women climate leaders uh, piece <laughs> coming out on March 8th. Yeah. And um, as I said, state of the profession in April and it goes on from there. So if you haven't seen that piece and we'll link to it uh, on the page for uh, for this week's episode, but check that out. I think it's on the homepage of greenbiz.com this week. Um, so, yeah, that's what's happening. Uh, Heather, anything you're particularly excited about this year? Well, so I'm going to go a little bit off the event event uh, side of things and into sort of the coverage. I think you'll see, first of all, I have two positions open, which I'm super excited about. So our team is expanding on the editorial side. Our team is also very focused uh, on more follow-up. You're going to see us in your inbox asking for how that thing went that you announced last year, um, uh, as well as I'm really super interested in um, how multinationals and large corporations are going to bring in the small businesses um, that are so important to their supply chains. I think there's a lot, I think this is going to be a year in which we see a lot of activity on that front um, with supply chains, with real programs. Um, I just heard about another one um, this week, I think that's coming out from Stanley Black & Decker. So um, looking, going to be looking in forward to, to exploring all of the great programs that um, allow this this movement to expand beyond the beyond the uh, the faithful and into the the folks that we in the mainstream right in, the, in the, into the mainstream so that's that's what I'm, that's why I'm my mind and if you're interested in those uh, two job openings that Heather just mentioned uh, just go to greenbiz.com scroll down to the very very bottom of the page in that black box where it's got a bunch of links and one of those links says careers at greenbiz click mm -hmm. on that and you'll see that we actually have seven job openings only two of them in editorial but in others in, across other parts of this growing company so lots to come but let's quickly take a look back right now at the weekend review I'm going to start with one of my favorite projects that we've been doing for the last three years uh, by by our intrepid senior editor Elsa Wenzel. Um, terrific, terrific uh, research and piece on C-suite sustainability champions. So the the purpose of this list is to go beyond the CSOs. Although there is one CSO on this year's list, I'll tease that person in a moment. But uh, I love this list. I, I, I was reading it through um, as I was helping her edit it, and I just got more and more excited about the individuals that we feature. I, I, I mean, and they, they're very um, wide ranging in terms of the industries that they represent. Um, what we did this year is kind of take a slightly different slant than we have in the past. We have 12 individuals, and they each represent an area that we think is super important for um, C-suite support in, in the cause of sustainability. So for example, policy, because that, that's just a big thing that continues to be a um, sort of a, an open an open book for a lot of companies. They're, they're not doing a whole lot on that front. But one the company that we wanted to um, highlight on this year's list is Expensify and their founder and CEO, David Barrett. Now, he, this is the person that sent out a email to all 10 million of his company's users um, 12 days before the 2020 presidential election, basically telling them to vote for Joe Biden. 
um, it was just quite quite an extraordinary uh, moment. I remember getting this this note myself. I got it in my inbox, and I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> like wow!" Um, and and you know, his rationale after speaking with his team was that he felt his company had an important uh, thing to say in terms of standing up for democracy. Now you can disagree with him or not. You, you don't have to share his politics. Um, it was quite quite a gutsy move. Like you don't usually see a CEO step out like this, but he got, uh, he consulted down and up, down to his employees. He, he, he socialized it with his employees and then up into his, his board and decided to do this. So that for, for me was one of the sort of dramatic um, policy agendas that, that you, we saw emerge last year. There's some other Great. I think I'll, I'll mention my other um, favorite one, actually, if, if I can have a favorite, um, is Geraldine Matchett. She's the co-CEO and CFO of DSM, Royal DSM, the company um, from the Netherlands, a health and nutrition giant. Um, we we featured them for bio, their work on biodiversity. We, we've heard a lot of talk about biodiversity in the last year, but um, this is one of the companies that's really put in place some programs on, um, to to support it um, with products and so forth. And one of the things uh, that I thought was particularly interesting about her, she's on a number of uh, different industry groups uh, really helping promote the, the cause of sustainability. Uh, she's a co-chair of the His Royal Highness, the Prince of Wales Accounting for Sustainability, the CFO Leadership Network. And she is also an executive committee member um, on the World Business Council for Sustainable Development. So two really, those are two really striking folks on this this uh the list that really popped out to me what about you, for you joel was any anyone that uh, i mean they're so good but do you have anyone that really jumped out for you they are good i mean i i i, I love them all and i love the fact that they're uh it, it's pretty global there's um a number from uh europe uh from india from mexico uh, and and i think it's it's and from all over uh, these united states I'm partial to uh, mm-hmm. Jane Fraser, the CEO of Citigroup, uh, who joined, uh, I guess, last year. And on her very first day, uh, um, which I think was back in March, uh, she announced that the company was going to, uh, uh, you know, go to net zero emissions. And since then, uh, she she committed they committed to net zero emissions in their portfolio, as well as in their operations. And um, you know, is is. Of all the things she could have announced on day one, the fact that she chose that was, I think, a, a clear signal. And since then, she's doubled down on that. She made a statement uh, late last year about, you know, we may have to send some of our customers packing because they just aren't committed to uh, eliminating their greenhouse gas emissions the way we think they need to be. And so we'll see. All of these <laughs> fall in the category of we'll see. But I think that's mm-hmm. that's very in, inspiring. So yeah, yeah, it just it's just a great list, and it you know, covers topics like environmental justice and biodiversity and and carbon removal and and, and you know, catalytic capital and infrastructure and building. Yeah. So a, a great uh, a diverse list in in every sense of that word. I did promise to mention our one CSO, and I'm going to do that. He represents climate tech. And Narbon Gosh from Mahindra, he's the CEO, a CSO of that entire group. And I think that that's the important part. He sits over the entire operating group of companies. It's a many tentacled conglomerate, 250,000 workers. And he's um, he's got a, a very fun Twitter handle, Narbon 
007 and he just kind of he kind of goes crazy. I mean, he's the the person responsible for um the strategy across all of these huge businesses. And so I think uh, sort of a special special nod to the CSO role of a of a huge conglomerate like that. Yeah, well, I'm both shaken and stirred by that. That's really uh, uh, nice and cool that he does that. But let's move over to a different story on why private capital uh, needs to get intentional about gender and equity. And this comes from a longtime friend of mine, a good friend, uh, Suzanne Beagle, um, who's the founder of something called Gender Smart Investing. She uh, lives uh, over in the UK these days. Um, yeah, she's American, uh, living abroad. And um, has really, uh, he, she's created a, a, a annual conference called the Gender Smart and a whole network of investors uh, um, and entrepreneurs and others in this field that I think is, is really making a difference, which has always been Suzanne's uh, approach to life in general. And, and this is the first of, of what will uh, be a series uh, from Gender Smart. Uh, she calls it a community of 2,500 investors and investment influencers, intermediaries, and others in more than 50 countries. And she talks about the fact that that the people at the table making investment decisions in general do not reflect the world and from gender. And uh, gender is the focus, but I, I think it also goes to uh, to race uh, and ethnicity. Um, and 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 she talks at some length about why that's critical, uh, why that's that needs to change, and what's going on out there, and and some of the really inspiring uh, uh, large uh, funds and venture capital uh, firms and uh, insurance companies and others that are leaning into the power of gender smart investing, and it, it's not just. A matter of fairness and equity. As she points out, she said uh, uh, one research found that um, analyzing a list of 2,000 publicly traded companies in 24 different nations over a 10-year period found that a one percentage point increase in the share of female uh, managers in a company led to a half point decrease in carbon emissions. That's really interesting. And, uh, you know, I'm sure someone has to uh, and that a lack of diversity at the fund level can mean missed opportunities from outside of traditional networks. That's part of that research as well. I, I'd love to you know, drill a little bit deeper at some point and figure is that causal or correlative? In other words, is, is are they uh, having fewer carbon emissions because they have more women? Uh, managers? And if so, how does that work? Or is it is there something else about those companies that both led them to be pro progressive or proactive on both gender diversity and carbon emissions? Anyway, that's a that's a detail, an important detail. But but the larger point of this piece, I think, is is definitely important and worth uh, leaning into uh, uh, just of what's going on out there and how investors are finally starting to understand the power of women in the organizations that they invest in and also at the table making those investments. Yeah. I I found <laughs> I found myself wanting to go follow up on a bunch of the the specific things that were mentioned in here like I didn't know um that Schneider Electric had tied its sustainability linked bond with metrics that include not just the carbon impact, but the gender diversity and number of disadvantaged people trained in energy management. I didn't know that. And I thought, well, shoot, I should have. <laughs> that's a, that's an interesting story because 
to, to the point we, we were making earlier is there's so many great things happening. What's the, what are the things that really stand out? That stands out for me that, that you would have that, that bond, um, pegged in that, that different way. I also, there was a, to the piece about uh, small and midsize, um, businesses, uh, there was an interesting statistic here, uh, value for women, uh, which I, I'm, not, I'm sure they're a research organization. They did a study of SMEs, small and mid-sized enterprises, and clean energy value chains with the Shell Foundation. They, and they found that implementing a holistic gender inclusion strategy among entrepreneurs, right, um, product design, value proposition, sales, marketing, customers, like, so if they took these entrepreneurs and helped them with that, that it could impact sales by up to 85%. So like showing the entrepreneurs the opportunity of, of making these, you know, being successful um, by focusing on this. It's just, um, I don't think it's anything we don't know, but it sure doesn't happen enough. And I, I love this. I love this piece. I thought it was just a real wonderful um conversation starter and thought starter, if you will. Well, we're going to see lots more from, from Suzanne and Gender Smart in the coming months. But uh, Heather, you brought up SME, small, mid-sized enterprises, and that brings up a, a company you, you wrote about called Zero with an X uh, and their positively deviant sustainability strategy. Do tell. Do tell. So let me, a little bit of background on Zero. Um, you've doubtless heard of Intuit huge cloud uh, accounting software company um, and which is doing a lot of really great things for small businesses as well, right? Since many of them are, are their clients. So they're trying to help uh, small businesses uh, learn more about being sustainable and um, putting programs in place to help them do so. And that's a matter for a different story. And we've talked about them in the past. But Zero is a company out of New Zealand, um, fast growing cloud software company. They are one of the, I think there's like three or four companies that are uh, software companies that are part of the climate pledge. And they are one of the latest signatories. Um, not, you know, a huge company about, um, about 4,000 employees. Um, so you would consider them to be kind of a midsize and they actually have a net zero strategy. So now we know that we, we read that term and at GreenBiz, we always poke under the covers, right? So we, we need to know more about what that means. And certainly today, um, that net zero claim and their carbon neutral claim um, is because of offsets, right? So they do have offsets that they're relying on. They're a small company, they're they're moving forward, they're, they're, they're starting there. Um, but what I loved was um, Rachel Powell, who's the chief customer officer, and I spoke with her about the strategy is this sort of notion that they want to be what she said, what she referred to as being positively deviant. And I think the, the best way for me to explain what that means is to, to, to read a quote um, from her, from, from my interview. So she's, she says there's three elements that she thinks that every organization needs not to be a follower, but to be a thought leader. And that's to take a stand in terms of being credible, right? So, and that the big one is being positively deviant. And she says, I quote, I use that term more than the other two, who she's talking about um, some other things, because I think it really is just hits home. The other is morally praiseworthy. So it's not that you're doing it because you have to, because you won't get investors if you don't do it. That's where discretionary comes in. When there's a choice that we can use and one is operating under carbon sustainable principles and the other isn't, you have a discretionary decision to make. 
end quote. And what she is saying is that her, her, her default is that they will be positively deviant. So now what one, one of a specific example is that they have baked biodiversity initiatives into every carbon offset project. So they're not just going out and buying some random things over here. They, they have actually committed in the, in the case of um, one of their, their projects is the Fisherman's Bay Permanent Forest Sink Initiative. So they, they're fully sponsoring this, this program through March, 2024. So a, a long time commitment. And um, th this, this particular project is very focused on um, a number of habitat management projects to build biodiversity in this in in this region. Um, it's in New Zealand, so it's close to home, and uh, you know that that for me. And so they basically have made that part of anything they choose. They they poke under um, the the covers. They're also putting money into uh, the BlackRock Liquid Environmentally Aware Fund. Um, so like they're putting their cash assets into some funds that are specifically focused on um, being pegged to certain environmental criteria. Now, this stuff sort of probably sounds like, you know, for the listeners or larger companies are pro probably thinking, hey, yeah, that's okay. What's, but for a small company, these are pretty aggressive moves and pretty, um, you know, they're, they're, they're baking this into their strategy. They have basically heroes in each region of the, of the world where they do business that are empowered to sort of build on the local strategies. and. What I love about this is as they grow, this will be baked in from the beginning, right? So as they become a larger company, as they become, you know, I'm sure in their mind in the future, maybe a Microsoft size company or, or Salesforce, you know, this will be baked into their thinking and they can only go um, into other deviant places from here. So I just like this because it, it demonstrates to me that it's possible as a smaller company and you have to start where you can. Yeah, it's really, really interesting and kudos to them. And, and it's part of, uh, I think we're starting to see more action in, in terms of helping smaller companies uh, up their game. Uh, and for a long time, small, mid-sized companies were sort of the backwater of sustainability. You know, they didn't have the resources and nobody paid much attention to them. And they don't, they didn't have the economies of scale. They didn't own their own facilities, so they couldn't do a lot of the upgrades. And, and now that, that there's so much emphasis on supply chains and smaller companies, we're seeing a lot more emphasis on, on what can small companies do. And, um, and this is definitely an important part of the story. Uh, we also, uh, Elsa Wenzel wrote back in August about Amazon and how they're helping small companies keep returns out of landfills. You wrote a piece, Heather, uh, as you've mentioned about Intuit um, and, and some of the ways they're create, they created a marketplace uh, to help smaller companies take climate action, working with a, a whole constellation of companies, some of which we know well, like Reapley and uh, Energy Sage and Sendel and Copia. Um, and, and so I think this is a really important part that we need to start thinking bigger about smaller companies. Yeah, I and I'm going to just pop one more example in there um, because it's I think it was a fascinating one is HSBC and Walmart basically giving pref preferred finance. Like, so basically, if you as a supplier meet certain criteria and help, they're, they're helping them meet them as part of the Project Gigaton, you can get financing that is pegged to the amp to, um, to the Walmart rate. So you get better financing if you do these things. So that that's a real game changer for smaller companies because it kind of gives them the funds to do this at the same time. It's it's a it's a virtuous cycle, right? If they if they, if you will. So they they invest and then as as a result, 
can get access to the capital to invest more. As we said earlier, we welcome the new member to the Green Biz team this week. Dylan Siegler, formerly of NRG Energy and Verizon, joined us as Vice President and Senior Analyst for Sustainability. And in that role, she'll be leading our annual Green Biz Conference and writing about the profession of sustainability. And Dylan joins me now. Hey, Dylan, welcome to Green Biz. Thanks, Joel. Thanks for having me on the podcast and thanks for hiring me. Yeah, well, <laughs> pleasure is definitely ours. So you wrote, you wrote something uh, last week and set up for, for this week for introducing you to the world. You said this is a complex moment for sustainability practice. Talk a little bit about what makes this moment complex. So to generalize, and that's always a little bit dangerous, the, the sustainability profession has become more integrated. It's now de rigueur as a corporate function. And that in a lot of ways is what we were all working for all these years. Um, this is where we wanted to be inside the corporate sphere. Unfortunately, at the same time, the urgency to act on climate um, and really you know, every intersecting and branching issue, whether racial justice or circular economy, all of that urgency has also risen. At the same time, the pressure on business to act um, in the place of meaningful regulation has also risen. So the urgency of all of these tasks uh, is at 11. And then the tendency inside corporations is that our roles have become a little bit more ho-hum. Um, so there's some cognitive dissonance that we're all dealing with there. And so that adds a huge amount of complexity to the balancing acts that we were always doing between needing to be thought leaders, needing to be detail-oriented, needing to be project managers and experts. Um, so, um, so that's kind of what I mean when I talk about how complex it is to be in this space right now. So is this one of those cases where we're the, we're the dog that caught the car and now the question is, what do we do? With this moment that that good people, way to put it. Uh, both internally and externally, you know, appreciate and value what sustainability people do, and and yet it may not uh, the the practice itself may not be changing enough to meet this moment. That is a that's a brilliant way to put it, Joel. And I think the question is, what do we do about it? How do we negotiate this moment? Um, what are the facts that we need and the resources, but more importantly, what are the truths that we can uncover together as we kind of take this profession to where it really needs to be? Well, explain that. What kind of truths are you talking about? I think we, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a horse that has been beaten, but the pandemic has really put us all in um, a place of um, real introspection. Um, we've realized that, yes, it's important to be experts and it's important to always know everything, um, but facts are the one thing that uh, that go out of date pretty fast. Um, and I think what would be really useful for us all at this time would be to understand what are the truths that we're chasing as a profession, as a field, and how do we um, keep those truths as the North Star as the facts and as the, um, the, the scenarios that we're navigating um, constantly change. So I'm still trying to understand what, what's one of those truths that we need to keep in view? 
Um, I think that there are some um, some big questions that guide what it is we do as sustainability professionals. Um, I think understanding always what our personal sustainability is um, as individuals is really important and keeping that really um, keeping that grounding there. Um, I also think that making sure that we understand what mission driven is, is, is another really important thing. It used to be, I think, pretty straightforward what we meant when we, as sustainability professionals said that we were in, we were mission driven and we, um, we got up in the morning because we wanted to leave the world better than we found it. Um, we've needed to get really specific as to what we've meant there. And I think each and every one of us needs to come to those conclusions, but we also need to come to a conclusion about what that mission is together. Um, GreenBiz does a really good job of collecting all of the tracks where we do those things together. But I think there's a kernel of realness that we need to have as a group in order for us to kind of hurdle over this really tough spot that we're in. One of your new colleagues here at GreenBiz, John Davies, who runs the GreenBiz Executive Network, has said that the, the role of the sustainability professional is really, in some ways, chief translation officer. What do you think are some of the things that need to be translated these days, uh, particularly internally to the rest of the, the company? That is a I, I think John's a brilliant man, and that is a that's a real that's a real thing. Um, and being able to speak all of the languages has always been um, one of the the major challenges. I think in terms of translation, uh, and I mentioned this a little bit um, when you and I spoke last week, is how do we negotiate the intersections? So we are simultaneously needing to make really specific, factual differentiation for people inside our companies. We're talking about the difference between climate mitigation, climate resilience, and, and trying to explain just those nuances can be very challenging. Um, what I think is incredibly important to understand is that we're also now needing to explain why intersectionality between all of the things that we're looking at in terms of sustainability across E, S, and G, um, why all of those things are important as well. So not only are we explaining what climate resilience is, but we're explaining what justice has to do with it. And we are getting into territory that's really uncharted when it comes to being people who came up um, primarily through an environmental kind of training mechanism. So it's a um, it's a brave new world that we're in. And I think there's, I have a lot of really, I have a lot of ideas about how we can um, succeed in, in getting there. Um, but I don't think we're there yet. Yeah. So you're in week one and uh, part of what's before you right now is getting ready for Green Biz 22 next month in Scottsdale, Arizona. But what else are you going to be doing as you start off to, to sort of pave the way for all that follows? Well, I was thinking about putting my feet up and eating some bonbons. Is that not why you hired me? <laughs> Let's just start. 
Um, no, no. I, um, I do have an idea for a listening tour that I'm going to embark upon this week. Um, and so what I'd love to do is reach out to some of um, my colleagues in the field who I have found to be really good bellwethers for what's going on um, and what's coming in the past. Um, and I would invite any of your listeners who want to be in touch, um, who have some thoughts um, to go ahead and, um, and ping me. And I'll, I'll also put this on LinkedIn for those who want to um, participate. What I'd love to do is kind of test some of my assumptions and um, understand what's really important, both in terms of facts and in terms of truths. Um, what is it in 2022 that the profession is really interested in, in learning more about, um, digging into, and what is it we're kind of done with? Um, what do we not wanna hear about anymore? Is there still, for instance, more, um, post-game that we can do on COVID. Um, what did we learn? Are we done with that learning? Are we ready to move on? Um, I, I also think that there's just a lot we could talk about in terms of the writ large sustainability profession versus all of our little fragmented pieces of it that have become so specialized. Um, what do we want to know more about? What do we want to feel more about in those spaces? So much to know, so much to do, and uh, and we're so excited to have you on the team and pursuing those lines of, of inquiry and and coming up, I presume, with with answers and and equally important uh, products and services that we can offer to the sustainability profession. So once again, welcome. Uh, Dylan Siegler is our new vice president and senior analyst for sustainability. Thanks again, Dylan. Thanks, Joel. As I hope you all remember, at the end of last year, we asked for listeners to contribute to our podcast with the answer to the question, what are you looking forward to in 2022? I'm pleased to say we had quite a few responses and we're going to have the first set of them this week and listen up for more in the following episode. Hello, I'm Holly Beal, Environmental Sustainability Program Manager for Microsoft. What I'm most excited about for 2022 is for companies to start going beyond accounting for our own emissions and even emissions of our supply chains, but starting to take accountability for emissions enabled by our technology. If the way our technology is used directly leads to increased emissions, we should take responsibility for that, but that is not currently accounted for in any framework. So I'm excited for that to take off in 2022, which I believe it's time for, and it will. This is Dr. Esty Garrity, Chief Medical Officer at Esri. In 2021, we felt and understood the critical interconnectedness of our world. We saw how geography is central to the way we experience climate-related events, how those intersect public health efforts, and how our community members are impacted by these things differently. In 2022, I'm incredibly optimistic that we'll advance the use of ultra-precise geographic information systems to put an end to the disproportionate impact of climate change and negative health outcomes for people of color, for indigenous tribes, and for vulnerable populations of all kinds. My name is Sarah Reed, and I'm a program manager at the Electrification Coalition. My big takeaway from 2021 was that the shift to electric transportation has truly become unstoppable. 
There was seemingly announcement after announcement from traditional and non-traditional automakers about how they are going to go electric and commit to this new future. I finally saw and drove electric pickup trucks, mid-sized SUVs, not to mention electric garbage trucks, fire trucks, and school buses. 2021 was the biggest year electric vehicles have ever had, and it really does feel like the future is now rapidly approaching in the transportation electrification space. And I really can't wait to see what 2022 brings. Hi, my name is Camille Fabre. I'm in charge of offsite construction for Saint-Gobain Weber in France. As 2022 begins, I'm most excited about the changes to come in the construction sector to build and renovate more sustainably and play our part in addressing climate change. Industrialization, decarbonization, training of the workforce. We have a lot of challenges ahead, in particular when it comes to scaling up energy renovation. In 2021, I joined several new initiatives, including an energy sprung innovation project together with the startup Vestac. For 2022, I look forward to delivering on sustainable initiatives in collaboration with partners across the value chain. Hey, GreenBiz, this is Nick Hayden. I'm a relatively young sustainability professional with Sustento Group, a small sustainability consulting firm specializing in governments, philanthropies, utilities, REITs, and private equity firms. I'm a big fan of the podcast and I listen to every single episode. What I'm most excited about in 2022 are the inevitable SEC rulemaking decisions regarding climate change related financial disclosures. I'm hoping in the first quarter of 2022, we find out whether or not companies have to disclose their scope one, two, and three greenhouse gas emissions in financial statements, and whether or not those financial statements need to align with the TCFD. It would be really great to see GreenBiz do a deep dive on the most important dates and actions that have happened thus far in the early part of 2022. Thanks for your time. And that's our 350 podcast for this week. As always, go to greenbiz.com slash 350 to learn more about the organization, stories and events we mentioned. And while you're on the site, check out our seven free weekly newsletters, a great way to stay up to date all week long. Just go to greenbiz.com slash newsletters to sign up. We loved hearing from you, your questions, your comments, your tips. Just hit us up at 350 at greenbiz.com. Heather and I will be back next week with another edition of Green Biz 350. Until then, from all of us here at Green Biz Group, I'm Joel McCower. Thanks so much for tuning in.